You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let me read, I need all the help I can get. Let me read one of my favorite passages from Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the only one of Israel, and your Savior. Boy, that's always very comforting to me. Okay, well listen, uh, thanks for coming. Uh, I always kind of feel like... uh, Faber in the Fahrenheit 451, you know, he shows up, nobody comes to his class. I said, what, do you still teach the class? I mean, just hoping somebody will come keep going. All right, well, okay, here's your pop quiz. Boy, did y'all pick the wrong class. Okay, anyway, here's some notes. This is, this is a lot, hey, 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 this is a lot quicker. Hey, 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 Harvey, and this is a lot quicker than y'all having to write. So, th- with this, and, and, and Gil did this, typed it up for me, so I've got a fighting chance this way. So, what I want to do is, uh, I mean, now, do TS out in 40 minutes, you know, you're just doomed to failure. Anybody tries to, tells you they're going to do that, just lock them up immediately, because there's, they're nuts. But, uh, nobody ever called me smart. Alright, here we go, come on in, anywhere. Well, let me read this I'll give you an overview, okay? And then we're just going to delve into a few of the lines, and that's, uh, you know, we're not going to do the wasteland in depth. That's about a month, right? T.S. Eliot's miraculous escape from the wasteland to the best religious poetry since John Donne. It really is a miracle. Perhaps the 20th century's best poet, he wrote the most important poem of the century, The Wasteland, and won the Nobel Prize for Literature. His poetry falls into two periods, the wasteland and its religious poetry, as he desperately searches for faith. Greatly oversimplified, dryness equals death in his poetry while water brings life. The central image is a man on a beach at sunset, as the potential for death and salvation lie on each side. Die on the sand, or swim in the ocean and find faith in beauty. It is not too late, but time is running out. And a lot of you probably read the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Eliot's amazing first poem is a masterpiece you probably read with famous lines like about the, the sawdust in the, in the restaurants and empty oyster shells. You know, that's out of water, right? On the pub's floor. Uh, another good line I like talking about. The, I should have been a pair of ragged claws. Uh, you know, whatever that means. Uh, students talk about maybe like a, a crab. You know, he, he, proof rocks, he says, in short, I was afraid. So like a crab, you always going sideways and everything. Or then one student pointed out about lobsters, you know, they mate for life. And so you've got that tension in him all the time, the despair. But then he's really fighting his way to, hey, come on in here. Desperately, sir. Hey, how are you? Come on in. Come on in. Trying to find the faith there. Okay. Yet you see the reaching for faith in it. Okay, now so you've got the dryness and the death, but yet then you have the reaching for faith in an allusion to John the Baptist who brought water to the desert through the baptisms. 
So even from the very first visit, and this was his first poem. Um, uh, Ezra Pound couldn't believe it. He did this. This is his first poem. He did it without me. Uh, the Wasteland. And this is, I think, you know, this is what scares people off. Uh, I was thinking, you know, I just haven't heard many references to T.S. Eliot in sermons in Sunday school classes uh, during my, you know, meager experience. And uh, I think part of it's the Wasteland. It's scary. What is that? Allusions to 35 authors and several different languages, including Sanskrit. Okay, <laughs> and uh, very complex. And it's just a poem of fragments. There's no continuity to it. It is a poem of, this is the most important one, right near the end, fragments that shore up my ruins, such as religion, art, and literature. Or as one of my students says, Andrea Carson said, the bits of truth still left in the world. That's not bad for an 11th grader, is it? Western civilization is seen as in ruins after the horrors of World War I and the excesses of the Roaring Twenties. Dryness as death can be seen in lines such as the withered stumps of time. Steve Pappas liked that line. And I will show you fear in a handful of dust. That's uh, Sybil, the prophetess. Yet the search for faith continues in this despair. As Eliot alludes to Shackleton's expedition to Antarctica, I love this, when, lost in a blinding snowstorm, the six men all later said they counted seven figures in the storm. Who was he? I think of footsteps in the sand. I love that. I mean, it's not like some, not, not, not like bugs took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. And then Antarctica in the storm, you're not going to have people just wandering in and out, right? Uh, you know, Jesus in the lion's den Dan, with Daniel. Scully Bradley calls this poem an obituary for Western civilization and noted Eliot's overwhelming need to believe. Okay, so we're going to do a few excerpts. Now, I'm, I have time just a few excerpts. Maybe just give you a little taste of things. All right, The Hollow Men. Uh, Robert Spiller called it the pit of Eliot's inferno in which life without belief is empty. I'm just going to... This, this is low as he went right here. And... Uh, uh, and when he wrote The Wasteland, he was in a sanitarium for a, a good deal of the time. His, his marriage had fallen apart, but, you know, they wouldn't get a divorce. And uh, so he was uh, just barely hanging on himself. Burnt Norton, and then the miraculous thing. Oh, and the transition was a little poem called uh, Ash Wednesday, which is the perfect timing. Sometimes you get lucky. I didn't plan it that way, but it just worked out with Ash Wednesday. It was a little bridge, led him into the four quartets. And Gil said, we have some copies of these uh, for sale, I think, in uh, the store if you'd like to get them. Anyway, the four quartets, uh, Scully Bradley called them the best religious poetry since John Donne, which is saying something. Uh, what can explain this miraculous transformation? Now, this is great stuff. This, this were good criticism. Alan Poyce Jones brilliantly observed that the close study of Dante led Eliot to find Christianity as the one chance of finding, this is quoting Dante, a still center in the midst of chaos. I think Dante pulled a fast one on, on Eliot. Okay? So Eliot's going, he, he's in hell and he's trying to show all these videos, you know, how, how we're just kind of turned in uh, Western civilization into a hell. And, and, uh, and Dante said, oh, hell? I, I can show you hell. Okay? But then the thing about it, Dante is... He starts in hell, but he ends up in paradise. Dante said, I know a way out of hell. And so uh, uh, I think that was the study of Dante helped bring him out of all that despair. <clears throat> um, 
several several writers turned to Dante to <clears throat> kind of escape from hell, like Longfellow did that too. Eliot beautifully said, Shakespeare and Dante divide the world between them. There is no third. <laughs> you think he liked them? Uh, as the French giant Victor Hugo said, faith is a necessity in man. Woe to him who believes in nothing. Man, that's pretty good. Eliot's escape from the wasteland and the hollow men and their despair to the sublime four quartets is a miracle of God. The quartet seeks to capture those rare moments when eternity intersects the temporal continuum, Scully Bradley, and Eliot's overwhelming sense of the need of tr redemption transformed him into a religious poet. Well, you can see when I made these notes in Thanksgiving, so I, I, I don't procrastinate my only saving grace there. All right, then. Well, let's get into it. Buckle up here. The Hollow Men and... Uh, um, we're just going to, as I said, we're going to be able to just do a few lines. The epigraph is Mr. Kurtz, he did. And you scholars probably know that's from Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. It's about a guy who goes, uh, a Brit who goes, an ivory trader, and he goes into the jungle and he goes crazy and turns into a killer. And the company has to send somebody off to, uh, uh, to bring him back or kill him, but he's embarrassing the company. And his final words on his deathbed are the horror. The heart. If you saw Apocalypse Now, I mean, he admitted, you know, this is just a 20th century putting putting Heart of Darkness into Vietnam, and I think that's about the strong one of the strongest words we have. The horror. And so, um, anyway, this is as as low as Elliot went. I mean, his next step is like suicide. I'm afraid. But look at this. We we are. We're listening. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Okay, look. One of the cool things about Eliot is there's just layer after layer for his allusions. Okay, so he's a scarecrow. We're we're hollow men because we have no soul, and so and then we're like we're uh, we're, we're we're scarecrows. We're on cross staves, right? Okay, cool thing about straw, right? How it fits? It's dry. It's hollow, right? But then you've got the scarecrow on the staves. What have you got? In this despair, what do we have? You know, we've got Jesus on a cross, right? So it's just, just layer after layer of meaning there. Our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind and dry grass or rat's feet over broken glass in our dry cellar. So again, there's the pieces, the fragments. We're just, you know, we're just in a mess, just in fragments. Glass. I think one of my students pointed that half the stuff I teach I got from my students. That's why I love class discussion. Every year I taught, I got smarter. <laughs> I, I, you know, that was a big honor to make Mr. Palmer's book. Okay, right here. And what we're doing right here, this is painless Palmer, right? No tests, no essays. We can just, we can just go along for the ride, <laughs> have some fun. So my point, glass. What's glass made from? Sand, isn't it, right? There's the dryness again. Elliot was so smart. I mean, the, he was really, really smart. But he did say once, he said he paid too high a price for being a poet. He said he suffered too much. Uh, that's sad, isn't it? Okay. Such deliberate disguise. I'm just jumping around. Disguises. Rat's coat, crow skin, cross staves. There it is. Okay. The intense desire. To, there's a scarecrow. It's dry. It's hollow. But it's... Is Jesus on a cross too, just fighting his way, trying to find it. This is the dead land, 
This is cactus land. Here the stone images are raised. Here they receive the supplication of a dead man's hand under the twinkle of a fading star. Cactus! Why cactus? How does that fit what we've been saying about, about Elliot? Cactus. Where does it live? It's in the desert, right? But what's inside? Water, right? Okay, and what's on the outside? Keep going. Keep pulling. Thorns, crown of thorns, okay. Keep going. How about, what are those, what do you call those giant ones? The arroyo or something? What are those stones that are like, which look like, like a cross, okay, with the upturned arms there. You just keep pulling. When you do the wasteland, it's just just layer after layer. <clears throat> In death's other kingdom. Is that heaven? Hell? Lips that would kiss. Form prayers to broken stone. I mean, there's the the love frustration in the in the broken marriage. You know, we should be kissing, and we're just, you know, talking to broken stone. But again, broken stone is that the is that Moses and the Ten Commandments thrown down? The eyes are not here. There are no eyes here in this valley of dying stars, in this hollow valley in this broken jaw of our lost kingdoms. Some people see parallels with uh, uh, the Valley of Ashes and the Great Gatsby. Okay, the, you know, the eye, remember the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg on the, on the billboard? You just study this. I know that, okay? And, uh, uh, and they were both written in 1925. So we know Fitzgerald read this. Um, in this last of meeting places, we grope together gathered on the beach, this beach of the Tumid River. I think that's the... I'm greatly oversimplifying, but I have to simplify so that I can understand it. I think that's one reason I was able to teach a little bit. I had to simplify things so that I could understand it. But I think basically you've got a, a guy walking on the beach at sunset and you've got the potential you know, for death. You choose wrong, you're out in the sand, you die. But if you're brave enough, you go swim in the ocean and chase love and religion and beauty, then, then you can, can have a rich, full life there. But the sun's going down. It's not too late, but time's running out. You better decide what you're going to do. Uh, multifoliate rose of death's twilight king. Now that's a quotation from Dante. The multifoliate rose. The rose, you know, is a symbol of love and beauty that he uses a lot. Uh, Y'all read, uh, um, let's see, John Steinbeck, The Grapes of Wrath, Rosa Sharon, Rosa Sharon, anybody? Okay, there's, uh, she uses there, or A Rose for Emily, Faulkner, uses a symbol of love there too. Here we go around the prickly pear. Prickly pear, that's a kind of cactus, isn't it? Right? And then he just goes in for that in italics. For that is the kingdom, life's very long. For that is the kingdom, for thine is, life is, for thine is the. And then he just gives it. This is where the world ends. This is where the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. He's trying to pray, and he can't do it. He just can't. It's, you know, it's just like you get any lower suicide. I mean, he's just. I'm about done. And then, and then the miracle occurs. And, and, uh, and I told you it was a little poem called Ash Wednesday. And so we said, sometimes we get lucky. The, t- the timing was perfect right here. Good thinking. You knew that. I know you knew that. I, I did. I forgot. 
Okay, well, and, and so now we get, and he wrote, this guy who's just like in despair, and he somehow is able to write the what Scully Bradley called the best religious poetry since John Donne, which is saying something big, right? Okay, we have copies of the four quartets for sale in the bookstore. All right. It's, uh, I highly recommend that. They're not, not very long. Wouldn't take long to, to read them. And I'm going to read from uh, Burnt Norton and Little Gidding. Okay, just a few lines just give you a taste of things here. Burnt Norton was a manor house in Gloucester. And, uh, and these were written during World War II. And uh, Elliot was a fire marshal during the firebombing of London. You know all about that. And so he's got a line about to be redeemed from fire by fire. So they're getting all this fire from the sky of the Nazis. And how do you fight that? With the fire and the warmth of God's love. Okay? And so, he, again, he can just use things in so many different... They have double and triple meanings. Go, said the bird, for the leaves were full of children. What? <laughs> Elliot? For the leaves were full of children. There's no foliage in those fur, you know, and proof rock and the wasteland. Everything's just barren and dry. And everything. We've got leaves, things blooming. And there are no children. The children have come back. Never before in the earlier poetry. Hidden excitedly, <laughs> containing laughter. Laughing children. That is so different from what you get in the wasteland and, and proof rock and the hollow men. Uh, so a humankind cannot bear very much reality. If you've ever read The Glass Menagerie, that's a great line for that. I've had a lot of papers on that. Okay, And as I said, the, the quartet seeks to capture those rare moments when eternity intersects a temporal continuum. So when, when trying to, where does inter, eternity intersect where we are right now? It's called the four quartets. Capture that moment. After the kingfisher's wing has answered light to light and is silent, the light is still at the still point of the turning world. Alright, kingfisher. So, that's a bird, right? Okay, well, why is that in there? Where does it live? In, yeah, by the way, sandbanks, right? So there's your sand again. Oh, don't stop now. Kingfisher, flip it around. Y'all know the myth of the fisher king? That is all through literature, the Fisher King. So the Fisher King is an impotent king or he has a wound that will not heal and he rules over a wasteland and he's, guard, he's got the chapel perilous that houses the uh, Holy Grail. And he's waiting for a knight of great virtue, a Sir Galahad figure, to come and answer some really difficult questions and to get the Holy, Holy Grail. Y'all see... I shouldn't do this. Monty Python search for the Holy Grail. And the really hard question is, what's your favorite color? And he misses it. Red, no blue, ah! And if you miss it, you die. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, <laughs> if you don't know your favorite color, you say, oh. I was uh, coming out of brick, uh, brick and tin and two young ladies had, the car was, uh, I do ramble. And, they, and their, their battery was dead and so I helped them jump it off and two guys in their 30s, come on, can we help you? Yeah, Okay, so I said, you know, black to black, positive, positive, negative, otherwise you blow it up. And so he puts the thing on, he starts sparking. I said, you got, you got black on positive? Oh, no. But he said he confused his colors. Well, okay. <laughs> Maybe I should just let you do it. Okay, so the Fisher King. And so he's there at the wasteland, and he's got the, the, the Holy Grail there. And, uh, 
and answers the question, and then he later drowns. And so that's a good one for the great Gatsby. Write a paper on that one, okay? That'll work, okay? That's good. And then again, of course, the impotence or the wound, that shows how the society... See, even, even in the early stuff, which is so despairing, he's got the religious elements. And then in, even in the religious poetry, he's got echoes of the dryness and stuff. And so they're, they're both of them are in, in both sides. And the end precedes the beginning. And the end of the beginning were always there. Before the beginning and after the end. Just the cyclic quality of life. Words strain, crack, and sometimes break under the burden. Faulkner talked about how we, we ask so much of words. Okay, for these words to contain the emotions that they've gotten, the sound of the fury and the great gasp in other places. And look how it ends here. And this is a Burnt Norton. Um, Sudden in a shaft of sunlight, even while the dust moves, dust through the echoes of the dryness, right? There rises the hidden laughter of children in the foliage. And that's such a change from what we saw in the earlier poetry. And so his quest is over. He said, I made it out alive. You can too. You can make it too. And then I go to the second one, which is even better, is Little Gidding. And Little Gidding was a uh, little religious community out, a few miles outside London that was destroyed by Cromwell and the Puritans. There was a chapel out there. Okay. Part is still there? Little Gidding? Seriously? Parts of it are still there. If you go. There's a little, there's a little uh, plaque that's, uh, that's in stone where it's at. But the foundation's still there. Get out of here. That's why I paid you to come here today. Thank you, man. I didn't know that. Put that field trip. Okay. All right. That is great. I love it. If you came at night like a broken king. Is that not powerful? Okay. I, I, I've, you ever seen a picture like a king? I saw one a king just kind of bent over, coming back like after the crusades with a broken lance and the horse is emaciated. And uh, underneath it, I saw a post one time, sometimes the dragon wins. <laughs> sometimes the good guys don't make it. And that uh, reminds me, that. how about this? This is pretty. Ash on an old man's sleeve is all the ash the burnt roses leave. Burning roses. What a pungent symbol. And of course, you have ash. You've got the religious Ash Wednesday. But then again, uh, it's a traditional, it's an archetype for death too. So again, you've got both these things right there together. And what you see in Little Gidding is that you see things like this and you, and you get... He's talking about the four elements, uh, you know, air, wind, water, fire. And he's going back to the basic building blocks of all creation, the ancient Greek building blocks, and to make a comment on the modern world right now. Dust, and the dryness again, in the air suspended marks the place where a story ended. The death of hope and despair. This is the death of air. And all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. You would have never found that in Proof Rock or, or, or the Wasteland or the Hollow Man. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it out alive. 
That's, that's not ill. It is the tra- it's a miraculous train. God got hold of him. That's the only thing that you can say. To be, re- to be redeemed from fire by fire. The Nazis, but then the warmth of God's love. What we call the beginning is often the end. And to make an end is to make a beginning. Oh, this is good. Listen to this. I love this. We die with the dying. See, they depart. And we go with them. We are born with the dead. See, they return and bring us with them. And this is perfect. I saw a book one time of... uh, They had this underneath a picture... Okay. Have y'all seen the Vietnam War Memorial, I guess? DC, okay. All right. How about a cool, this is a cool drawing. All right. There's a little boy. And you're looking from inside the wall. And you, on the outside, you see this little boy reaching up on his tiptoes to touch his daddy's name engraved on the wall. And from the inside, you see this, you know, with camo. This arm reaching out, his finger, to try to make contact with... I mean, it makes me weep. I keep talking, I'm going to start bawling. And Gil will fire me, dock my pay or something. But I just... And with these lines underneath, I said, that's just perfect. You just... You can't do better than that. We shall not cease from our exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started... And know the place for the first time. It's like, you know, life is just a cycle, okay? Y- y'all know about the romantic cycle? The, the romantic poets talked about that and said how we come from God, right? And so when we're young, we're close to God. And so we love family and nature and all those. And we tell the truth, right? But then we, we start going, getting a little older and we start, you know, chasing, you know, power and money and sex and all that stuff. And so we kind of get away from God a little bit. But then as we get older, become grandparents, it's <laughs> so all of a sudden, okay, we're getting back closer to God. You got those grandchildren and you're in that rocker, on, you know, watching the sun go down. You're appreciating those days and stuff like that. And uh, and so we're just kind of heading back to God there. I'll tell you a coaster. And that's a true story. It's a true story. So um, there was this teacher... And uh, and she had a little girl. She's and uh, girl, girl about you know four or five anyway. And so, little girl looks up at her one time and says, "Mommy, you're trying to play a trick on me. You're going to have a baby." She's, Mom said, "No, I'm not." Went to the doctor. Yes, she was. And so somehow, somehow the daughter sensed that. Okay, heard something in there. So anyway, mama has her baby, you know, a few months go by. And one night, she's going by the nursery and she looks in and, and the big sister's in there leaning over the crib and whispering to her baby sister. And mama says, this is, this is a Kodak moment, right? This uh, got to gotta listen to this. And she sneaks up behind her. And the little girl's saying, tell me about the angels again. I'm starting to forget. Oh, whoa. Keith, they may have been right about all that. And Elliot too here. Man, that is something. And look how he ends it. 
and all shall be well. It's going to be okay. And all manner of things shall be well. And of course, who do, whom does he turn to right at the end? Who divides the world between them? His friend Dante. When the tongues of flame are enfolded into the crowned knot of fire, and the fire and the rose are one. Which is, that's straight from Dante. In that climactic moment, those of you who studied the, studied the Divine Comedy, you know, it's when uh, Dante finally gets back in, in, the, in uh, Paradiso and he's reunited with, with Beatrice. And it's just, uh, just that utter perfection. They find, you know, he, he, she, sent, she sent Virgil to lead him through hell through that when he's lost in hell and through purgatory and to finally bring him back to her. Uh, and Eliot said, oh, and they're re- reunited in what Dante called one simple flame. And what's more perfect, right? Than the flame of a candle. According to Eliot, Dante's lines reach here the highest point that poetry has, has ever reached or ever can reach. You, you think he liked it? <laughs> it's just, it's a great moment when Beatrice and Dante are finally reunited. And so that's what Dante is so good. These writers turn to him because he said, I know a way out of hell. And they can give a vision of hell, but also you can make it out again. And let me kind of close here. Yeah, I'm going to make it. Son of a gun. Elliot in 40 minutes. Y'all know William Styron? Sophie's Choice? That's the best acting I ever saw. What's her name? Meryl Streep. That's best divers in that concentration camp. Anyway, William Styron uh, uh, battled depression himself. And he was hospitalized for it. And in darkness visible, quoting Dante, he said, For those who have dwelt in depression's dark wood and known its inexplicable agony, their return from the abyss is not unlike the ascent of the poet. This is Styron talking about Dante. Trudging upward and upward out of hell's black depths and at last emerging into what he saw as, quoting Dante, the shining world. There, whoever has been restored to health has almost always been restored to the capacity for serenity and joy. And this may be indemnity enough for having endured the despair beyond despair. And I, we've all been there, you know, I mean, getting through divorce. I mean, sometimes it, it hurts to breathe. I mean, you know, some, that's all you can do is just breathe. And we've all been there. And what, we, what I'm trying to do here in this overview is to is get, maybe get over some of the intimidation from Elliot and, then, and give some hope that, you know, when you, when you have a hard time, people, people have, have climbed out. You can make it. You can, uh, you can find that happiness again. Uh, Longfellow. Y'all know about Hiawatha and all that, right? So anyway, his wife, uh, he was, you know, she just had a baby and uh, they were, uh, she was, uh, after a couple of years, she was, uh, you know how people used to keep the hairs from the first haircut? You know, snip them and put them in, in warm amber so that, you know, they don't turn gray and everything. Anyway, she's warming up the amber for their son's first haircut and her dress caught fire and she died. You have entered hell. And oh, Longfellow. So what did he do? 
he started translating Dante's Divine Comedy. Okay, and fine, he got through that and remarried, and you know, and, and found found happiness there. So Dante <clears throat> was able to do that. And I, I was lucky; I had a really good Dante course up at Sewanee. So um, anyway, Gil. <laughs> my, my my problem. I always try to I always try to do too much because my fear, my greatest fear, is running out of stuff. You want to see a bad teacher? When I've run out of stuff to teach, just winging, being eloquent. Mwah, I better better have something. Well, let me hear from you folks. Okay, what what do y'all? Uh, and I and I hope you read the four quartets. Okay, this is just a taste of things here. Any questions or? Well, tell me about, so you were there over in England and you saw that, right? Oh, that's terrific. Did you do the whole thing? Oh, no, I just, I've been to the actual place. Just uh-huh. Well, he was, uh, you know, he he was born in St. Louis. That's hard to see TSL in St. Louis. His grandfather founded Washington <laughs> University, okay? And so he, then he took that route of uh, Harvard and then Oxford, okay? Kind of shabby little education there. So he's over there in Oxford and uh, gets his uh, doctorate, you know, writes his dissertation, get his Ph.D. there. But the thing about that dissertation is you... Uh, uh, you have to defend, you know, defend it orally, right? You have to come, and so Harvard was saying you got to come back and uh, defend your thesis. And he said, "Well, the Germans have these U-boats. <laughs> I just don't feel safe." And they said, "Well, I guess you don't get your PhD then." He said, "Well." I guess I have to go back to Plan B and become a world famous writer. I mean, so it's just, it's always good to have a, a backup plan, right? Oh man, he was going to be a teacher. No, he he spent about half his life in America and about you know half over there in England. But he sure looked British, didn't he? Everything about it. Those granny glasses, the slick back hair. He looks smart. I mean, he just it's be intimidating. But don't uh, I, I hope I hope you read those four quartets and stuff. What else? What's your questions about any of, any of those things there? Are you sure you've read that book? Do what? Are you sure you've read that book? Look at this. Isn't this pathetic? Hey, you know, you've got some old books. That book's done some teaching. See, if I don't show up, this book can teach it by itself. Just, you know, if I'm not here, just open it. That's when I know it's time to leave. When my books turn to dust, they say, you're done. Okay. That's, that's all you need to teach. That is, that's sad. Yeah. And you know what's really bad is when you lose a table of contents. You ever done that and you're trying to dig around and find, you know, T.S. Eliot in this 3,000 page book? It's just like you spend the whole class looking for them. Okay. Uh-huh. When you go to go over there, just go to ask her how to get to St. Tewer's Church. He spent a lot of time. They recognized him more of anything about his writings there at St. Tewer's Church. Oh. So. Well, that's, well, just a giant. giant t- I mean, he, he may be the most important poet of the 20th century. You've got 
you know, you've got Yates. You got to go of the English language. You got to say Yates in in there somewhere. But Modern. pardon me. Modern. Yeah. That's, but how, L. It's huge. How old was he when he converted? When he had his conversion? I don't know. <laughs> um, to the Anglican Church. Um, not sure. Not sure. Adult. I don't know. That's your homework. Look it up. Okay. Let me know. Was okay. he like in Oxford? Uh, well, you know, he thought well, we're just kind of falling apart from World War One and the excesses of, you know, prohibition, World War, you know, and the Roaring Twenties and stuff. And so he just, he, I, I'm not sure that's a good question. I don't know that. I'll know, I'll know next time. Thanks. Well, listen, folks, thank you very much. That was fun. Enjoy that. Hope y'all come back again. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.